Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. My quick hook line before we get into this, I remember... Back when I was a kid, we would buy cars. My dad would buy a car, and it was at the time when you could work on your own car. And it was kind of a standard thing that whenever we got a new car, it goes straight in our garage, we get the engine hoist, we pull the motor out of it, and we start overhauling it. We take it all apart, then we put it back together, and that way you know what kind of car you got, right? So one day we're working on my old 77 Blazer. It was the first car I ever had. It was a 1977 Blazer. It was awesome. And one day, dad takes me up to this task, and he has what's called a harmonic balancer puller. And if you're wondering, what is that? Good. That helps the story that you don't know what it is, okay? So he goes, all right, I want you to pull the harmonic balancer. I'm like, what? He goes, here's the puller. And I go, okay. And it was this thing with these things and things. And I didn't know what things went to what other things. And I'm like, well, how do you do it? He goes, figure it out. And he was, his intention was for me to put my hands on it, get my hands dirty, look at it. That's the engine. Here's the, okay, this probably goes to the, oh, okay. And, and do it. It's called hands-on training for a reason because you got to put your hands on it, okay? I'm not going to tell you how that went. That's besides the point. <laughs> but the fact was, that is how a dad thinks. That's how a father thinks about his son. I'm not just going to give you everything. There comes a point, you get in and you get your hands dirty. You do some of this. You learn by experience how this works. And that's what the Lord is going to do to David today. David is going to learn by experiential exposure. If that's a term, I don't know. I just made it up. Welcome to the new Rayism. But the Lord is about to give David exposure to covenant. He's going to make David put his own hands on it. David already messed it up. He abused it. He took it for granted. There's a lot of kids out there. They take their cars for granted. Oh, I just have a car. It's mine. But when it comes time to work on it, Dad will typically say, I want you to get your hands on it so you can learn what it is you're dealing with. And that's what the Lord's going to do with David today. Father, be with us today in our study. As we go through your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Samuel 21, where David avenges the Gibeonites. Now, there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Okay, guys, this is absolutely fascinating to me, that the weather, the weather, clouds and rain and wind and all that stuff, okay, was influenced by man's sin. (laughs) It just blows your mind. 
okay, well, really, God was controlling it, but it was man's sin that was affecting that. Now, you got all these people running around, oh, global warming, we're all going to die, but they're sinning like crazy. They need to read this story right here, okay? So Israel got hit by a three-year drought because Saul had killed Gibeonites. What does this have to do with anything? David didn't even know what was going on here. He had to ask, God, what, what is this? Three years of drought, I, I need help. What caused this? And God goes, oh, it has something to do with what Saul did. I'd be like, excuse me, <laughs> what? <laughs> but there it is, it's written, you see it. So he asked, what's going on? Now, back in 2 Samuel 9, let me take you back because we went through this. There was a, you'll, you'll, it'll hit you when you, when you uh, those of you have been following me. If you remember in chapter 9, Joshua was coming through the land and he was wiping out the Canaanites to take over the promised land. The Lord said, go in, that land is yours. All the Canaanites, you kill them, you get them out of there. That's, they're not to be in the land. So here he comes, he's wiping out all these people. Well, there was these people called Gibeonites and they were of the Canaanite line. They were scheduled to be wiped out. They pretended to be another group of people. They pretended to be foreigners. They put on these different clothes and act like you've been traveling a long time, like you're hungry. And they came up and and tried to say, well, no, we're not, we're not those people. But what they did was they pretended to be another group so that Joshua would not kill them. And they made a covenant with Joshua so that Israel could never destroy them. They made this covenant. Oh, we're not not of that line, but make a covenant with us. It was sneaky, but it worked. They got that covenant. I want you to see Joshua 9.15. It says, so Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. He made this covenant with these people. And so they actually, like I said, they kind of tricked Joshua into this covenant. But once the covenant is sworn, once a covenant is promised, the covenant has to be upheld. Now that's what's going on with David. Okay, once it's put on, it's on. Okay, for a very long time, the Gibeonites lived in submission to this covenant. They had to serve Israel. They were woodcutters. They did all this work for Israel. That was the exchange of the, basically they said, we will serve you. Hello, people under covenant, you're supposed to serve the one you're in covenant to. That's the way it works. All right. So later along came Saul And he killed a bunch of Gibeonites. He blatantly violated the covenant that Israel had sworn to them. Saul said, I don't care about the covenant. Kill these people. And he violated that covenant. Now, friends, covenant violations really make God mad. They really, really anger the Lord. Broken promises anger the Lord. Lying angers the Lord. When you don't keep your word, it angers the Lord God. And so the Lord, because of this, he put a famine upon Israel to get this broken covenant high enough on the priority list for David to finally give it his attention. Three years, it took three, one, two, three years for David to go, okay, God, what's up? What is all this? He goes, it's something that Saul did when he killed Gibeonites. Now, when you consider, uh, this is what made me wonder here is when you consider how many years has it been since Saul's time right here in this part of history how long has is it passed since Saul's day and I started to wonder why did the Lord wait all this time to get this broken covenant in front of David's eyes why did he wait all this time why did the famine start now is what I'm asking 
Why wait this much later to start the famine? I mean, why didn't the Lord have David address this problem a long time ago? Why wait this long? There's something I want us all to observe here from the timing of this famine. Before this point in time, David did not have the spiritual maturity, did he, to be able to recognize these kind of things. He didn't have the leadership maturity to understand covenant. He knew he was under a covenant, but he didn't have the maturity to recognize everything going on, or he wouldn't have messed around with Bathsheba. He wouldn't have had Uriah killed, okay? So he wasn't mature enough. So David had to first be dragged through a ton of consequences of his sin first, to humble him down first, because now the Lord is going to teach David how a king upholds a covenant. Now you're going to get your hands dirty. You're going to figure out how a covenant works because you're going to go mess with the one that Saul broke. Ooh, now I see why the famine hit. David is going to have to learn covenant now for himself, hands on training. He's going to show David what it's like to have to fix a covenant that somebody else broke. Ooh, I see the gospel in this one. (laughs) You're going to fix something that somebody else broke. And by fixing it, you're going to understand how it works. I had to fix my engine, but I found out how it worked. Okay. So now David's going to have to address it now. The famine showed up now at this point in time, all these years later, because David would not have been able to see it before. He wouldn't have got it. He didn't have the maturity before. But also, David can't put it off. Remember, there's a lot of things he put off before. Kings went out to war. David stayed at home. Hey, check her out. Bring her to my house. Who's that? Okay? He was putting a lot of things off. He can't put this off. The whole nation is starving to death because there's no rain. There's a famine. He has to deal with it. You've got to deal with this. You see what the Lord is doing? Son, get over here get your hands on it, but I don't know. Figure it out. Get your hands on it. He was required to act. Now, you can see how the Lord had thrown David straight into the training field to learn for himself how a king upholds covenant. And that's what I'm titling this message is how a king upholds covenant. David's going to find out. Second Samuel 21 and 2. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Okay, now this attack that Saul did on the Gibeonites is not recorded in the Bible. We, we don't know where or what that was. It wasn't written down. This is the evidence we have that it even happened at all. It was right here what we just read. So this is our biblical text explaining why Saul killed him. He had this zeal. Anybody that's not an Israelite, I'm killing. And that was Saul's attitude about it. He became so obsessed, Saul did, to wipe out anybody that was not an Israelite. And that made the Gibeonites a target. And Saul apparently had no regard for the covenant that they were under. And so he would have been aware of the covenant. As king, you're aware of covenants. You've got a a, a ruling covenant. advisory board. No, you can't touch them. They're under covenant. I don't care. They're not Israelite. Go kill them. That's pretty much what happened. But unlike Saul, David did have regard for covenant because David is learning covenant. David is under covenant. It has been very harsh on him and it's also been very blessing to David. So he understands that Saul did not. 
So what does David do about it? Second Samuel 21 and three. Therefore, David said to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? And with what shall I make atonement that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul or from his house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us. So he said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king. As for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord chose. And the king said, I will give them. Whoo, this is getting barbaric. (laughs) But guys, sin is barbaric. It causes a big mess. Okay, I'll try to unload this. Now, I I know this is a harsh situation here, but to fully grasp what's going on, we've got to get a hold of that word, atonement. That's the word we need to wrestle with here. Atonement. What is that? To atone means that David wanted to repair or amend or cover it, to cover the damage that had happened to them, their relationship with Israel. So check this out. Look Look at David here. You have a king who desires relationship a king who understands covenant, a king who desires to repair and restore a broken covenant. Does that not sound like Jesus Christ coming ahead? Of course it does. That's why David had, the heart after, had a heart after God, because he thought like God. He, he acted like God. So hold on to that, because I will be coming back to this. You got a covenant king who wants relationship, and so he looked for atonement. Now, the Gibeonites, they wanted payment for the murder that Saul committed, but they did not want financial payment. Throwing money at us, we don't want no money of Saul's, we don't want no Israelites, we don't have nothing against the Israelite people. They said, our beef is with Saul. That's our problem is with Saul. So what they wanted was payment made according to the law. And the law said, if you sin, you die. That's basically the law. The law of God. You sin, you die. Well, guess what? All of us sinned. That means we should all die. That's pretty much the law in a nutshell. As Israel's servants, they could not take vengeance in their own own hands, so they had to ask for seven male servants, seven, I'm sorry, seven male descendants of Saul's line to be handed over to them so they could execute them, to have them killed as payment. Now, the idea here is that those who would be handed over to them were likely okay with what Saul did because they were of Saul's line. Saul had a line of messed up people. They were in his family. They saw what he did. They saw saw what Saul did to kill them. These seven people would have been in a line that had backed that up. The main point we need to be aware of here is that it takes the death of the guilty to pay for a broken covenant. That's really the overall idea here. And Saul's line still held the responsibility for this sin. Christian, we all sinned. We ultimately originally held the responsibility for our own sin. We did. So Saul's line held the responsibility. And so the condemnation fell on them. Hard stuff, I know, but just hand over some people from Saul's line and it's over with, right? I mean, it sounds pretty easy. Just give us seven guys from Saul's line and we'll hang them. And that's over. Pretty simple. No, it's not that simple. (laughs) David has another element to consider. As a man who also has to learn to uphold covenant, David also had to weigh in the covenant he made with Jonathan, who was Saul's son. You remember that? 
David made that covenant. Uh Uh-oh, what's going on here? Let me show you 1 Samuel 20 and 15. Jonathan said, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Okay, things just got more complicated here, didn't it? So look at what the Lord did here. It's like, you're going to learn covenant, and boy, are you ever going to learn covenant. You're going to go deal with the Gibeonite covenant that was broken, while at the same time, you've got to uphold the covenant you made with Jonathan, (laughs) because that was Saul's line. I think if I was David, my head would have spun clean off my shoulders by now. How am I going to do this? Uh Uh-oh. He has to execute people from Saul's line, but he still has to balance that with the covenant he made with Jonathan. So David pledged to give seven people of Saul to the Gibeonites. But watch how he does it. 2 Samuel 21, 7. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. Okay. If David's not learning covenant now, I don't know what to say. Now he's learning. It's like, wait a minute. I can't mess this one up. David is realizing, wait a minute. When covenant is set... It has to be upheld. It's got to remain. I think that's the best thing about this whole chapter is that once covenant is put in place, covenant is done, man. It is done. And David's learning how how this is. Covenant is to be upheld. It must be kept. Guys, a king understands that a covenant must be upheld even if somebody else breaks it. Do you see this? This is good. This gives you the assurance of your salvation because it's in covenant, right? Even if somebody else violates it like Saul did. Now, I want us to be completely observant to the fact that David learned even when others mess it up, the king upholds it. When others mess it up, the king upholds it. As king, he upholds the covenant because other knuckleheads are always going to come up and mess things up every time. You know, when you got something good going, there's some moron that comes in here and just trashes everything all up. That's what David's learning here. So the Lord is showing David. He's saying, you're the one with the authority here. You get in there and fix it because as king, you're the only one that can. Friends, in the covenant I'm in with Jesus... The only one that can bind it as eternal and solid is the king who has the authority, even if I blow it. Once you're in it, you're in covenant. He binds it. Okay, so David pledged to hand over seven people, but he spared Mephibosheth because Mephibosheth was under the king's protective covenant. And so we see two very different things going on here at the same time. They're working at the same place. Because of covenant, somebody's got to die. And also because of covenant, somebody's going to be saved. You see, somebody's going to die and somebody's going to be saved. That's both sides of covenant. Whoo, praise God on that one. I'm excited. I told you we're going to get charged up today. Some of you may have just got plugged in, but by the time it's over, you better be full, okay? Because we're on a quick charger here today. (laughs) So... Somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to be saved. It just depends on which side of the covenant you're on. Okay. 2 Samuel 21 and 8. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, not the same Mephibosheth we just read about. I just wanted to say it's a different one. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aah, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, 
the son of Barzillai, the Mahalathites. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. Okay, so you're talking about harvest time where there's famine. There's t- you're talking about trying to grow things when there's no rain. This Mephibosheth here that David appointed for execution, this was a different Mephibosheth than Jonathan's son. It says that this Mephibosheth was one of the Saul's of Saul's concubine, Rizpah. Remember Rizpah, she's a fascinating woman here, okay? Now, five of the other guys appointed to die were all the sons of Saul's daughter, Mereb. Now, I know that verse 8 says her name was Michael, but remember David's first wife, Michael, died childless. Because scripture says that Michael despised David in her heart. Again, when she despised David in her heart, that's some of Saul's hatred against David going on here. She died childless. And so the Michael here in verse 8 is not that Michael. It's another name for Mereb. Who is Mereb? Back in 1 Samuel 18, if you recall, King Saul wanted to kill David, but he wanted the Philistines to do it for him. He thought, if I can get David to fight the Philistines, they'll get him killed, then I'll be rid of him, and basically, I didn't do it, right? So he tried to, Saul tried to persuade David to go into war with the Philistines by offering David Mirab, this woman, as a wife. Take her, and you can fight for me. I'll get rid of him. But David didn't fall for it, so Saul gave Mirab to someone else, this guy named Adriel. And that was in 1 Samuel 18, if you want to go back and look at it. So now here we are all these years later. These same people are back in the story again. The family members of Saul that had despised David, and they actually played into Saul's schemes against him. So what, like what I was trying to say, you've got family members of Saul. They hated David. They never got behind David. They were wicked people. But now all these years later, they're all being called up for condemnation. Now, I know I just put a big, big circle on you, and you were, some of you are like, what? I'm just trying to explain to you, there's a lot of people that we saw in past stories that are now being called up. It's time for you. Your time's here. You should have been right. You should have backed this covenant king, and you didn't. They're now called up for judgment by David. These people that David called up for judgment were the people that gave him a hard time a long time ago. And it says they were all hanged before the Lord, it says. Now, who knows the significance of the number seven? Seven is the number of completeness. It's completion. They hung seven. The Gibeonites wanted this atonement completely paid for. The Jesus parallel in this is that my Messiah Jesus completely paid for my sin. So here with these guys, seven guys had to die to completely atone. Now watch this, guys, boy, this is, this just gets good. This is where the charge is really going to go up a few volts, okay? Second Samuel 21 and 10. Here's that concubine, the mother of two of these guys that were hung. Now Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven. And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. I am absolutely astounded at this woman. Two of her sons are hanging with five other guys. Two of them are her sons.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.